Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to a brand new year and a brand new episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. Yes, sometimes our definition of mainstream and cult get a little bit wonky uh but they are always good pairings and uh, you know (laughs) i haven't even introduced the panelists yet uh i'm your host film critic and comedian nate wyckoff and with me today i have jeff tucker how are you doing jeff uh wonderful thank you for having me yes of course i i rarely have jeff on uh Mm. only only when i can convince him to watch a movie and we have which is getting harder and harder by the way it is it is I go in with like trepidation and fear now. Yeah, I, I, you know, we've done long time listeners know we've done a couple of uh, real special films in the last couple months, and uh, and and I think yeah, we spooked like some a, of our panels. We have like a Pavlonian response to cringe, or like, um, like when we get a Dropbox link. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. That's all for your listening pleasure. We also you hear there, Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Good, ready to be part of the peanut gallery on a movie that's yeah, yeah. actually older than me. So this will, it, this will be nice. This is yeah. Much? We don't t- we we touch a lot of it's movies a few years from yeah. the '80s, sometimes '70s, but uh, rarely do we dive back this far. That's uh, certainly something we will be doing. But as back as far as this, which came out in 1950, it is the classic. I mean, truly one of the most iconic films of uh, the film age, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, starring William Holden and um, Gloria Swanson. And I have to say, this is a noir film. Uh, those that um, everybody's heard the term, but if you don't know what noir is, it tends to be uh, sort of dark themes as well as very high contrast cinematography. Uh, a lot of detective thrillers are noir. You still have uh, strong traces of noir film in the sort of neo noir uh, movement and that's carried on uh more recent examples are of course something like chinatown with jack nicholson um and then later you even have uh, a remake like um nightmare alley by uh, guillermo del toro that's a remake of a noir film and it is itself a noir film so this movie sunset boulevard is uh it's probably if not the first, it's definitely the most famous movie to sort of deal with the aging starlet of a bygone era trying to implement herself uh, and be relevant. And, uh, of course, we have things like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which would be a great pairing for this movie on a, on a double double feature night with Betty Davis <clears throat> and, and Joan Collins. This movie is about uh, a down-on-his-luck Hollywood writer who's very much like the vibe of sort of a snarky, wisecracking private eye. He's not necessarily what I would call a really straight arrow. (laughs) He's, he's sort of, he likes to, he does not against a con. Okay. But he's trying to dodge some uh, repossessors who want his car. And he ends up wheeling into what he thinks is an abandoned mansions uh, parking lot. And it turns into, uh, it turns out to be, the parking lot of this forgotten silent film era star uh, uh, Norma Desmond played by Gloria Swanson. Now what's really cool about this is that <clears throat> Gloria Swanson is 
she actually was a silent movie star uh in the uh, in 19 the early uh 1900s 1919 she did a lot of sh you know silent shorts and things of course the first quote-unquote talkie movie is what we call them the first dialogue movie was uh in 1927 most most people credit it as the the jazz singer although there is some debates and you can look into that if you want but anyway so this silent movie star has this ridiculously rambling we're told fantasy script that she's been piecing together uh she lives alone with her servant max uh, her only servant in this mansion she has tons of money from oil holdings and all sorts of things but she's a shut-in essentially she only has a few visits with her uh the lead character calls them waxworks the other aging silent era stars who are sort of forgotten she's not necessarily forgotten i mean nobody writes her letters anymore but we learn these little things that max the servant is actually like writing new letters and sending them as though she's getting them and, and all that sort of jazz to sort of feed her 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 need to be in the spotlight and be beloved and for new listeners to the pod we will spoil the ending. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, I don't think you can really spoil a film by saying the ending. It's not like a who gotcha kind of thing. Uh, however, we do talk about every aspect of the movie. So if if you already sound like you're in for this movie and you want to watch it before we tell you anything that happens, go back, watch the movie, come back here. So anyway, we find out that Max is actually her first of three husbands and was uh, the original silent director who uh, found her and as he says made her a star so he's obsessed with her and he's been sort of coddling her our lead is using her as his sugar mama and uh that seems to be okay for, with him until she he actually gets in a romantic tryst with a friend's fiance who he's writing a script with and uh then norma desmond finds out and the the girlfriend finds out the girlfriend says i want none of this i'm out of here and then uh he's like i'm leaving i i can't stay in this prison anymore and while he is kind of a jerk it does have prison elements uh norma desmond's character uses lots of psychological berating and then when that fails sort of collapsing and begging uh and threats of suicide which she has had several suicide attempts we learn uh and so she's she's really trying to keep him there so he in the end packs up all his things and leaves and as he's leaving she shoots him three times and he falls into her pool which she had cleaned and filled for him uh so that's we literally have had the story narrated to us by the lead character who at the opening and then we jump back in time and at the end dead in a pool okay so this is one of the most famous aspects of this movie is that it opens with the lead character dead in a pool uh, and then we go back and see how it happened. Uh, this has been done many times. It's also a good time to mention the name of this pairing, Splash into the Noir Year. Ha ha ha. Both of the movies for this pairing deal with pools in Los Angeles. So stay away from pools if you don't want to drown or be shot, I guess. Anyway, this movie is about two hours, which is pretty pretty long for this era. There were longer, uh, but it is it is pretty long. Black and white, very striking uh, high contrast black and white imagery excellent cast i mean everyone in here had uh decent careers it is directed by uh, a very well-known uh, uh director billy wilder who did some like it hot with marilyn monroe uh, and and uh we have uh writing along with him um, i forget the the names are <clears throat> are not super familiar to me but dm marshman jr um he wrote a fair number not a ton but a handful of movies in the 50s and, and tv shows and then we have uh also on writing duty charles brackett now charles uh, did a little bit more he actually had written quite a few things and uh probably most memorably uh he he did the um journey to the center of the earth from 1959 he wrote that that screenplay um and i certainly have seen that many times so we have a really great cast as well gloria swanson was nominated for uh best actress for this uh we have nancy olsen who plays the girlfriend we have eric von strohheim who plays max the ex-husband slash uh manservant william holden who uh has done his share of um uh, 
B movies as well as as really high end movies. I always enjoy seeing him play the lead, Joe Gillis. And again, to go back to Gloria Swanson before we get into the discussion here on on the aspects of the film. Now that we've watched it, Gloria Swanson really eats this movie up. Uh, and not only does she eat it up in a way that mirrors what um, uh, what maybe Faye Dunaway later did with. Um, mommy dearest or uh, uh, contemporary betty davis did in whatever happened to baby jane uh, or those of us who obsessively watched drag race uh, what happened to baby jj and uh i i gotta say i found her really enchanting and disconcerting in this and she actually lost uh, both she and betty davis lost the uh best actress award um which it's sort of the idea is that they both were so even that um, the third, uh, I can't even remember who it was uh, for a movie that is not as well remembered at all. One. And uh, I, I think, and I think Bet Betty Davis is all about Eve. I think might've been the, the movie that she was up for. So anyway, this was very impossible to forget. There's also some of the most famous lines in cinema history, things that people quote all the time. Of course, the most famous, maybe the most famous movie quote of all time. I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. And um, that said, famed director of yesteryear, Cecil B. DeMille is actually in this playing himself. We actually see him uh, visited by uh, Norma Desmond's character on the set of uh, the movie he was actually filming at the time. And so it's kind of, it's a cool peek behind the curtain in a way in little bits like that. I, there's also the really great line, which has been usurped and taken in many different directions by many different people. But the, um, I am big. It's the pictures that got small talking about her fame fading. And that is, is really kind of a cool thing to think about, especially since in, in the early days of golden age of cinema, which for us, now in, in 2022 soon to be 2023 the golden age of cinema was the 40s and the 50s and and that's you know but to the characters she's talking about the silent era uh in the 20s uh but anyway i i continue to go on uh more than necessary this is an interesting movie it's a little long uh for this era as i said it is very beautifully shot, very competent people behind the camera and in front of the camera. And it's definitely noir, but it is not a detective story. It is not really a crime story. It's solidly uh, a drama. I, one could say a psychological drama. So let's move on to Jeff. Jeff, had you seen this movie before? And if, and regardless, what have you thought watching it now? Uh, I have never seen it. Uh, well, I have I've seen it now. Uh, I had not seen it before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I came on here to just hang out. I didn't watch the movie, so <laughs> I have no opinions. Uh, just just here to hang out. Uh, no, but I, I thought the um, uh, you know, obviously this is very famous, so I I'd, I'd known about it. Um, I I thought it was good, but it's also a little dull. And I think that a lot of these movies that like come from you know um you know history's past um because it, it really does have a lot of quotable lines and there's like a lot of good dialogue but it's all a little like you know soft because so, mm -hmm. you know nothing that's said in this movie that was made in the 1950s is gonna have any bite to it nothing's gonna shock you nothing's gonna really like wake you out of your uh you know your stupor from the day and you're tired and you, you nothing's nothing's gonna wake you up in this film it's because it's all you know 1950 acceptable um so it, even though it's it is quite good it just it just doesn't have the the bite of a kind of a more modern drama um but you know i still i still did enjoy it it was still an enjoyable watch just um just because the dialogue was good and i was enjoying it for the um kind of like historical element of it you can see how this movie kind of inspired a lot of stuff that's come since um and you know it's it, it is i really i have a hard time like critiquing movies that are this old because you you can't you can't look at like you know the the quality of this film and like the exact um 
elements of the film because uh really to 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 evaluate it properly you have to compare it to everything else that was at the time like happening at the time mm-hmm. um so um well, it's, it's you know it's just it's, it's hard to it's hard to like evaluate it in today's standards right yeah um, I, I think that's like, true I, I think something you said is interesting and i, and I kind of get where you're coming from i think from another angle too which is where you said it's dull i don't it 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 didn't bore me at any stretch that said it's it feels like it has this intentional heaviness of it right like a lot of times noir films they have that oppressive atmosphere you know it seems always dark even in the middle of daytime sometimes and uh and and noir films often like to really isolate the viewer along with the cast members uh and the characters on screen and that way it gets that that uh tension uh heightened in this case it's very much sort of the effect uh, on the character uh, uh, of Joe Gillis being like held captive and forced to to watch and occasionally participate in the play that um, uh, that Norma Desmond's the character is is putting on in many cases is sort of mirrored by watching it right because we are in a sense trapped then too we we can't free ourselves and at the same time it means that we have to wait for the movie to do its thing and tell and actually build to a climax and it it sounds like well duh you have to wait for the movie to get to the next part before you know what the next part is but it feels that way it actually is paced in such a way that we are a little languid with the lead character uh who sort of who who really is uh uh (laughs) there's kind of uh a wife had the point like well the biggest question is why two women in this movie are interested in this man. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Valid. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he is witty in a way. And there is that jerk element of like charm. Like I could take your Olivia, but I also am obviously here. Uh, not the healthiest way to build a relationship probably uh, for most people. But uh, I think you, you know, well, why are they interested? Well, because his friend's fiance is 22 uh so she's 22 and she uh doesn't really know better and she's trying right. to get into an industry that he's worked in for quite some time exactly so, and norma yeah. desmond is uh isolated and also mm-hmm. not totally With it. thinking clearly yeah we don't really mm-hmm. know like um it's there's so some really good lines though in that too like there's the and and it's interesting you said that Nothing is going to shock us. It's all very 50 safe. I think you're right, of course. Um, but at the same time, there were things that I th- did not expect to see uh, the f- upon first watching, such as um, the suicide attempts are are mentioned openly in the film. And we actually see uh, her bandaged hands, uh, uh, quite realistically bandaged, um, up, up halfway up the forearm. And there's like this beautiful shot uh i mean cinem- like visually just stunning shot where the character of joe gillis walks into her bedroom uh and sees her lying there with the bandaged hands and we do not see her face all we see on the bed are her two bandaged wrists and one foot sticking up from the bed that's all we see of her and he passes around to the front the foot of the bed he takes off her shoes starts sort of gently almost playfully berating her like why did you do a stupid thing a silly thing like that like that kind of thing um and then passes further past the bed and there's a vanity behind him and then when she's speaking we see her face on the bed in the vanity well i mean it really like you the thought process that went into that shot alone there are quite a few shots of her in reflection like her reflection was like presented at almost as its own character or a way you know that she was seeing herself most mm-hmm. often in her appearance and reflection in mirrors it was like over and over and over and there's shots of her going up the stairs in the mirror like it's not mm-hmm. her like like a direct shot of her going up the stairs but you see her in the mirror going mm-hmm. up the stairs um and then like there is a shot of her near the end um where he's come home and she's gonna go into his bedroom but she's got like her beauty stuff on her face like these uh, yeah like these sticker and she, like, things they show her looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and i think they're mostly focused on her reflection in the mm-hmm. mirror in that not, not her, her actual her yeah. looking in the mirror um so it's like over and over and over again as a very interesting theme um that they just kind of put in 
and I love that you brought that up because for me, there's it goes along with my favorite line for the movie is um, when he's before he leaves and he's he's yelling at her. It's after his girlfriend has uh, uh, has quit the whole situation and he's packing up to leave the house for the last time, presumably. And um, he yells at Norma saying, you know, uh, I, I, I might butcher the, the slightly, but uh, you're 50 years old. There's nothing wrong with being 50 uh, unless you unless you're trying to be 25. Um, and that was a super like piercing line. And I love that as the turning point, the sort of pin that she pivots around into true madness um, by, at the end of the film. And it really parallels that that moment you just mentioned right before she walks into the room, into that conversation where she checks herself in the mirror, takes off the products because she's literally trying to present something that is not what she actually is. Um, and I loved that. Uh, I mean, it really just, it, it totally put the, the concept behind the scene and a huge chunk of the movie into a uh, very clear perspective uh, from the, from a visual standpoint. And also we get, I just, I love the idea that they actually say, you know, this line, which there's nothing wrong with being 50 because to be honest, that's, that's counter to social culture now and in the fifties, right? Like right. no one, like, men could theoretically be as old as you want. For example, William Holden looks 20 years older than, um, he looks the same age as Gloria Desmond, although she actually is, to be, to your credit for this movie, she actually is about 20 years older than him almost, I think 19 years or something in, in real life. And um, I also think it's interesting, uh, masks on my strong suit, so somebody feel free to correct us, but I believe she actually is closer to 60 um, when they're filming this movie, but she's obviously very beautiful and they do a very harsh makeup on her very 20 styles but very harsh makeup just to make her seem out of sync with reality and a little bit more grim uh to to a lesser extent much like they did to um betty davis or hers was more dramatic but in whatever having baby jane so i love that they talk about this in sort of a realistic way which is another thing counter to the actual 50s mentality right like um the sort of perfect, uh, not actually virgin, but virgin-esque, innocent is the girlfriend character, is Betty. And yet, and that's what we all expect. But the reality is, is that then the characters are actually saying things that should apply to the real world, not the 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 film world. And that that threw me. And that was another thing that sort of I I wonder it clearly hit and connected with the audiences in the 50s, in 1950, because this was nominated for uh many, many Academy Awards. I think eight. Uh, it could be there's an eight in there. Uh and uh so yeah, so I appreciate that. But Mandy, what what were your thoughts? Had you seen this before? I think I might have seen clips, but I definitely seen all of it. Um I initial thoughts are similar just as like the beginning starts out you're like there's a dude dead in a pool and then it goes to super boring slow exposition where they have to tell you like in great detail and boring detail why he's in this financial problems and blah 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 i don't care this is so boring i might stop watching this film and it's then, actually narrated like it literally is narrated so exposition. i mean yeah it's it was bad and, but then you get into the actual story where he gets into her house and then he's just kind of like stuck there. Uh, and they do some really effed up things, like kind of creepy, um, well, I don't want to say like horror film, but like psychological thriller kind of stuff. Like they're like, they put him to bed in the guest room and then he wakes up and like all his stuff is there. And he's like, what? Like, I mean, I would be like, and what the f like I randomly walked into this person's house and yeah. wake up the next morning and they have cleared out my apartment and Max and all and, my stuff is here. Yeah. And the servant like, says that he started getting the room ready mm -hmm. before he was even invited to stay. Yeah. Like 
he's like it's it's clearly and and it gets even weirder when you go back Weird in retrospect pattern, after you yeah. learn that and Max they just like is, start yeah, gaslighting him immediately like mm-hmm. if you're working here so why are you complaining that your stuff is here won't it be more convenient for you like completely like not acknowledging how effing creepy it is to go clear out someone's it's, apartment it's like, an abusive relationship right yeah, because she just, has money she buys yeah. him all sorts of nice things mm-hmm. but she never gives him money the yeah, first she time she actually gives him money that we see is when he's going to go get a pack of cigarettes for her. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the only time. And he doesn't actually use it. Uh, it's sort of like, it, yeah. it's sort of which, you know, you can read into that if you want. You know, that's the moment where he starts to sort of break away. Um, but it, it's wild, right? Like, there's it's very much the... Um, it's like you can it's... tell he's like not happy and not really enjoying it mm-hmm. but he's like but this is what i've wanted this whole time this is what i've been trying to achieve safety and security right security wealth fame even though it's not his fame like he's getting mm-hmm. the fruits of fame he's like this is why i've been here this is what i've been trying to achieve so like i'm taking it like no matter how like not to say resentful but like resistant or uncomfortable mm-hmm. he was being kidnapped basically at the beginning mm-hmm. um yeah. right i mm-hmm. he still stays and mm-hmm. then and he has a physical relationship with her like he's clearly so i was gonna ask him, like were they were they were they doing that like it seems I, like I'm, it i mean they're they're very touchy-feely it fades out when he goes and i mean it's yeah she of course acts like it um but he only addresses it he never it's it's the one thing he never directly addresses in his narration he -hmm. doesn't directly address that we see it uh and it fades out and uh there's times when you know she jumps on the couch on you know with him on him as they you know Mm -hmm. she's having a good time he's not clearly Mm -hmm. um and we have this really which that in itself was probably a little shocking. I mean, noir had elements that did certainly shock the people of the time. Um, but it's like adjoining still... rooms with no locks, like that right. kind of no stuff. locks I mean, in is... the whole house, yeah. you know. Um, it, it, which of course is another abusive relationship trait, right? There's literally no privacy, privacy. as soon as he's yeah. moved into the main house because his guest house roof leaks, he's mm. like resistant to it because he doesn't like the idea of being basically in their presence and of course under her thumb and so it's all of these elements if you it's it's really kind of a brilliant flip on a more common unfortunately in reality as well uh thing of a a woman being essentially held psychologically and sometimes physically captive by an abusive partner you actually have it in reverse um whereas and it's not it's not so reverse as to be ridiculous. She's not, you know, she's not She-Hulk physically holding him in the room. She uses the tools that a woman, especially of that era, but I think still mm-hmm. kind of has, right? The emotional manipulation, um, the constant threats of suicide when he's really close to leaving I mean, or when he has too, left. To be fair. Of course, they certainly do. Um, they certainly do. But I think also women have less opportunity for physical altercations. And I think men tend to... I don't know if this is true. I'm not a statistician on a uh, psychological uh, stats guy, but uh, men also are more often physically abusive uh, or at least yeah, physically cool. threatening. The double whammy. Yeah. Right. The double whammy. And, so, think, and so she's yeah, using the sort of the wise. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, and, but you're, you're of course absolutely, but you know, but the whole, like, you made me do it. You make me Mm -hmm. so crazy. Like, I'm not like this with other people. Like, I know it's just that I love you so much. Like I get, you know, I just get like this. I'm okay now. I'm okay now. Mm -hmm. I just, I just lost my head, you know, that behavior at the same time too. It's interesting because she's had many suicide or several suicide attempts. They've never been successful, but she buys a gun and she doesn't kill she still does not kill herself she kills him which is uh you know telling i think as to the suicide attempts were not were not intended to kill her right they're 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 that they could manipulation exactly a control element uh, a punishment element you know like um you do this i do this kind of thing uh and so it's just it's really interesting and i think I think part of why it works and why it worked for audiences, it could have been almost, it could have been a straight up horror film in many ways, except for the fact that one, he's a man. And especially in the fifties, 
I think the, I think part of the groundbreaking element is that in any less competent film, uh, it would have been like, why didn't he leave? You know what I mean? Like she can't keep him there. But in this, there's there's the financial tie. There's all these psychological elements she's using around him. But also, uh, we have the I forgot what's going. But <laughs> you know, we have these el- the as a man, he's it's it's sort of like how Frankenstein a lot of th- a lot of literary criticism now talks about how uh, it the Dr. Frankenstein, the the man faints several times, you know, he has very uh, traditionally feminine responses from a, from a literary perspective. Um, And it sort of flips it where he's, he's giving birth, he's taking on the feminine qualities and how in a way ridiculous it feels when we put that onto men, the way we put it onto women and, and how that of course is, is misogynistic. This is doing a similar thing, right? Like he's, He's the abused wife and it works in the way it does because he's also not a very ethical character. We don't necessarily dislike spending time with him, but he's not a good man in what we would think. He's not Superman, right? He's not the true boy scout. He's intentionally- His his night he breaks out on New Year's Eve, he goes to see like a close friend and is gonna like hook up with his girlfriend like immediately. And that, and I mean, you know, and to the credit of of this movie, she's very much willing. I she thought does, they were play yeah. acting in that in that scene. Well, they kind were, of, but it's uncomfortable. Of, but like if I walked no. in play acting, I would be a little yeah. upset. I kind of um, took it that it was it, they they were both just kind of riffing off each other, like they're both playing off of their enjoyment of a theme, and it wasn't like actual. Sexual they were, tension. but like they were, but like I play off with you, Jeff. But I would never come within one inch of your mouth while I'm true. doing it That's and true. hold there. Um, I, I still took it the other way, but I can I can a, see it. It, it way, seemed yeah. like a little bit of a game of chicken, a little bit mm-hmm. of like feeling each other out, a little bit like I mean they knew each other. They they weren't like unacquainted yeah, at that point. And well, then she's I, the one that pushes him away at that point. You better go yeah. get the phone. Like you better go do the phone. Go do the Whereas later, whereas later she pulls him in like it, it yeah. it's interesting and so he, it wasn't he a knows forceful like situation. he knows what he's doing he knows uh-huh. that it's wrong and he kind of i mean tries to he's an opportunist stop. yep um the whole but also you had mentioned it kind of earlier in your synopsis and kind of gave the female character in that situation a lot of credit for being like i've had enough i'm walking out but i actually really liked his decision and mm-hmm. the way he went about ending things. It's the one time he's honest. Telling her how disgusting he is and what a uh-huh. bad idea it is for her to continue to try to be involved with him. And that like she has, like he doesn't exactly say like go back to your fiance because he's a way better dude. But he many times basically does. Says, like, I mean, I am yeah. not okay. Like this is, you know. I am a jerk. I'm taking advantage of this situation. It is what it looks like. Get out. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so well, he's like, like, she's like, I can't. She's like, I want nothing to do with this. I didn't see this. He's like, then you better, yeah. uh, then you better go finish that script on your way to art, which is her fiance. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I agree. And I think it's interesting that that is the, I do think that's kind of the first time he does actually tell the truth. Right. Because mm-hmm. he does, he says things like, of course he, 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 the first thing that he thinks when he goes to and when he meets Norma Desmond is, um, well, I'm out of here, you know, bite me. Uh, and it's a really weird mm-hmm. scene because she has a dead chimpanzee, which we assume was like her pet or something. Uh, and 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 it's this very wild thing where she's having a burial, a baby coffin brought and she's having a burial for this chimpanzee. And he's very snarky and he's very bent on leaving. And then she coerces him to stay and talks to him about this movie picture. He looks and he knows instantly that this script is garbage. It's it's untenable. Like right, it's it's he's like it's an amateur work. It the writing's bad. It's all over the place. It's going to be hard to even make sense of. Um, and yet he's like, but I see my opportunity for money. I'm going to do it. Uh, and then she ropes him in like, well, you can't leave with it. You have to do it here. And that's how that whole thing starts. So from from nearly the beginning he's always trying he's a con artist right he's trying to i mean you could say that's a little harsh he's at at best an opportunist and he's looking for his opportunity the irony is of course is that 
whether she would consciously know it or not, Norma Desmond is an opportunist as well, right? Like she sees this opportunity, like she has no one here except for her her uh, cowed servant, former husband. And, and he's like, this is it. Like it's proximity for her, you know? And she thinks that he's going to help her with the script and his credit. He does actually do the script and they send it off. Um, and, and yet, you know, it's a bad movie. It's not going to get made. Right. Uh, so it's really interesting that then when he finally, when, when Norma Desmond calls, she calls the girlfriend Betty and is like, uh, and unbeknownst to her, this is after they've, sort of Betty has confessed her love for him and they've kissed like she calls and says uh why don't you ask him what's between us blah 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 you know it's it's the wife calling the the mistress situation and he grabs the phone and says yes come over here's the address come over right now and that's when he lays it all on the line and like I said it feels like the first time he's genuinely honest he's very harsh about it the thing is he doesn't actually ever say anything nicely um and it's kind of and it's because he's sort of this, like, he's got a chip on his shoulder, right? At the beginning of the movie, he's deciding that he's probably going to go back to his his hometown and leave Hollywood. He's failed. Um, and yet, and then this whole thing goes where he thinks he can get everything he wants, right? But this moment where he's like, yeah, this is what I live. I, uh, I, she pays for everything. I have this big old house, you know, like, uh, I'm a gigolo, essentially. Do you, you know? How's that feel for you? And of course we know, and he presumably, as you said, knows as well, that's not going to be okay for her. And she leaves. Um, no, I, like it really, to me, it felt like he was quitting on purpose. He was like, he was quitting that relationship slash setting her free. And the way, like he was very deliberate mm -hmm. in it. And I think he was, he, I mean, he was being honest as the first time that we really He's so mean about it the, though, right? Any of like, the characters, but yeah, but he's doing it specifically to drive her away. Like he's like, and he does I the need, same thing to Norma Desmond. I need, I need right to let after. her go free. But I think he did that in a different way. I think that that way, in that way, he was really delivering it as like his frustration and disgust mm -hmm. in the situation and like with himself versus like, oh, I don't want to say like hamming it up or like going over the top, but like mm -hmm. doing that to like quit slash set her free relationship, make sure she really gets the point and goes. Mm -hmm. And then I think that he was, um, just you know like you know um trying to get himself loose he was mm -hmm. being honest but in a different way and he was mm -hmm. his harshness there i think was at the level that he was feeling it um towards her and not trying to be overly harsh to her but just being like look like this is ridiculous like i you know it ran its yeah. course but like i gotta go and well, like, I mean, obviously, kinda, obviously she like... didn't want to, she took it very differently. She didn't have, well, she says like, place. here's your trinkets. Thanks for yeah, letting me borrow them. Right? Like, it's not, it's not nice. Like he clearly does have animosity towards her. Partly yeah. we assume because one, like, he I did like go. this other woman. Yeah. Um, and what, what really is crazy to me and, and I really liked is the first, cause she shoots him twice in the back and then he yeah. spins and she shoots him one more time in the stomach and he falls in the pool. And we learn that's where he's shot at the, in the opening of the film. Uh, which, by the way, the opening has this gorgeous shot where it's filmed through a glass panel under the water with mm -hmm. him floating at an angle in front of us, dead, and the police and news reporters standing over him. It's really, really crazy, cool shot. Um, but he doesn't seem surprised when mm -hmm. he gets shot in the back. And that's and that's crazy, right? Like, that's the the level of of sort of being done with the whole thing because at the beginning he's almost done right like he's like i'm i'm he's sort of toying almost threatening you know how you threaten to yourself like you know what i'm just gonna quit and i'm just gonna go work at the grocery store right it was something like that like one of those crazy thoughts you have when things are frustrating um he sort of is doing that at the beginning and now it's almost like he's like no i am out of everything i am done and and then he falls into the pool dead, yeah. right? So that's he doesn't really want to go. He doesn't want to go back to of the course life not. he had before, right? And he can no longer go with his know, friends, so... right? Because right? he's 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 totally uh, messed had, that up, right? He's had a <laughs> you know a potential affair with his his friend's fiance, and she doesn't want to right? do it. You know, it's like so yeah. he has so nowhere stuck. else. Yeah, and that is his ultimate out. And and I think that it's sort of like suicide by police, right? Um, because it really could have they could have chose to play it as a shock 
And I think most directors uh, would. They would have played it as a shock because it's like mm. this horror, right? Oh, this shocking da da da, and he falls into the pool dead with this look of awe on his face. Uh, you know, the woman overpowered the man, like that. But they don't. That's not what the message is. The message is is he's like, which is so often the case with noir. Um, he's like, the world is hard, and uh, you know, life is hard, and the world is shitty. Boom. And that's and that's really like there's other things you can take from this, but that really is sort of I feel the the message that he's sending out, whether or not that's what we as the audience, because then we get this great ending where uh, he's narrating. And that's sort of where his narration kind of ends. Right. Is when he's like, you know, uh, I, he's like, basically, I hope, you know, it, I hope it's not too hard on Norma Desmond. And then he's like, or maybe life is kind in this final moment to her because she is now in some sort of, you know, psychosis state. And she thinks that the cameras from the news are there to film her big comeback or don't call it a comeback. It's a return, which is another famous line. Um, that LL Cool J used later. So it partially, so it's just really sort of a, a masterclass in really nuanced, subversive storytelling. It really is, it doesn't have any of the elements that we often, uh, I mean, it's a noir film and it shares elements with other noir films of the era, but it doesn't, for a big 50s Hollywood picture, it does not have those, frankly, corny elements that we often see, uh, even in good 50s movies. You know, the good guy doesn't win. There is no good guy, right? The even even the Even the most innocent flower is Betty and she is cheating and going to break it off with her fiance who constantly uh uh joe gillis constantly says is a great guy a really the nicest guy in the world um and so no one is untainted by this and no one is then untainted by hollywood is sort of the gist as well right like pictures corrupt uh is sort of an underlying element so we'll move on to recommendations because i've talked about this movie enough um for for probably three podcasters but I'll start, I, I will recommend this film. I mean, if you're into film as an art and as a storytelling thing, uh, or if you love noir, if you love noir, you've probably seen this movie. Um, but I have to say, it's there's a reason why it, it was so captivating at the time and has remained a quoted movie. I do think it's a little long. There's a particular section when uh, he's, when Joe is sneaking off at night to write a script with uh, Betty where the sort of back and forth, will they, won't they? We know they will. That's, it could have been trimmed down. There's a couple of repetition scenes. It's not brutally long and it's not critical uh, that it be there, but I agree with, I think that's the case. Also, it is not an action-packed film. It is a noir film that is not full of gunfights, right? It's a very, it's it's the other kind of noir it is a psychological drama much like again I've, I've said it several times because i think that it does share some elements although um the latter is much more melodrama but whatever happened to baby jane right if you liked that kind of psychological discomfort and really high drama high melodrama eating up the scenery you're gonna love Gloria Swanson's uh, Norman Desmond performance. I mean, she mugs, she does hand motions just because, you know, she's, and she lived it, right? Like she actually was a silent star where, as she says, um, I say, I say uh, words with a look of my eye, right? And, and it's sort of, it's, it's true, right? Because she wasn't actually speaking in, in the silent pictures. Um, so really it's kind of, unmissable from a film history standpoint uh if you're someone who really likes wants some action um go check out a, a different film noir movie because this isn't going to be that one uh check out they live by night or something along those lines uh, mandy would you recommend sunset boulevard 1950 if so why and to who absolutely would pretty much for the same reasons that you just stated it's uh definitely a movie history piece that shouldn't be missed uh, I, I actually found it quite enjoyable from the psychological thriller perspective, like as good as a lot of things that are coming out now, although, you know, it's from its time, um, the pacing, and it's not going to be too much spicy stuff in there, uh, <laughs> in a movie that's basically about two people's, like, forbidden relationship, uh, 
but it's it's got some good stuff in it. I think that, you know, as we talked about earlier in the um the episode, like it builds. It builds that tension. It builds the fucked up of the situation quite nicely. Um, with very few places where I would have trimmed stuff out. Um, and just as an additional bit of trivia, uh, and we also brought up several times her little beauty patches that she's wearing in the picture. Those are <laughs> very historically accurate and they're still available today. It's still wow. something that women use. They were invented in 1889 and they have existed pretty much unchanged as a wrinkle patch. So you just put them I on your face. I assume it's like salicylic acid or something. And it's it not even, it, it's with. like, it's just like a, almost like a piece of cardboard with like a bit of glue that's safe for your skin. And you just stick them on at night and it helps to relax and train your muscles not to like squint up and like huh. create those wrink, like wrinkles and creases in your skin. So yeah, it's like, um, it's sort of like the predecessor of Botox. And what a lot of women use if they're not ready to do Botox, but they want to help just chill out those wrinkles. They're called frownies now, but I think before they were called wrinkle eradicators. But they've been around for over 100 years, pretty much unchanged. And they show them off in this movie. And it's a little your little history trivia, beauty products and movie stars. Interesting. I'm Yeah. As you you mentioned, it's too. I, I think there's this montage when she thinks that her movie is going to get made, her, her return movie. Uh, and it's got all of these crazy... Um, I mean, my mom was an esthetician for many years and still has yeah. tons of products. They're actually not shocking and probably others are still being used. But it is interesting to see all of these techniques being used on her face, um, yeah. you know, masks and things and light uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I do want to mention. Also, oh. one other thing as far as a recommendation, just to watch this and just see how there's really nothing new under the sun, even though we like think back in the 1950s, mm-hmm. like 70 years ago, and oh, it must have been so different. And the perspective that we have now, of, like the Leave It to Beaver kind of generation, but like there were people much like us with much of the same thoughts and situations that they were living through. And in movies like this, it really reflects that things were not so different. Um, and I think that it's nice to nice and also kind of really fucking depressing to like look back so at something has changed. 70 yeah. years and like really so little has changed like especially yeah. even in like the domestic abuse or domestic um like toxicity that we see mm-hmm. represented in this film is clearly like reflective of something that was going on and recognized in society at that time and is still very much a prevalent issue today well said jeff would you recommend Sunset Boulevard from 1950? If so, why and to who? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna recommend it, but I am gonna I'm not gonna give it a blanket recommend like these other two. I think this movie is strictly <laughs> for people who love film and like film buffs. Um, you like if, I I think we kind of alluded to some like you know comparisons to other like kidnapping films. Like if you compare this to like Beauty and the Beast, there's like a very specific moment where there's like a kidnapping right in this movie it's almost like a slow subtle kidnapping in in a way like it's like all of this decisions to stay are uh the uh male leads choice to stay and you kind of understand why he would do it so it's it's it it does kind of have this slow unfolding um, and mm-hmm. it actually makes way more sense than Beauty and the Beast, sure. Because because you can actually see kind of the way that the thought process evolved and like where uh, where that that ended up. So um, so it is really elegant, but it's it's very slow and it, it is you know unless you're really looking for the details uh, and like really interested in the details, there's just it's just there's nothing to excite here. Um, there's nothing that um even like you know it's based on a murder but like the murder doesn't even like feel because they show it right at the beginning it it doesn't feel like uh as frightening as a thing like it, you know that it's going to happen it's not like um uh, it's an ending not a climax right yeah exactly I, exactly i also felt like knowing that that was what was going to happen was sort of like the slow motion train wreck kind of building yeah. of the whole film Versus, like, if they hadn't shown you at the, I was just trying to, like, if they hadn't shown you that at the beginning, it just happened at the end, I think I would have been, like, kind of shocked and taken back. Mm-hmm. Of, like, 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 that came out of nowhere kind of situation. Versus, it's interesting like, that knowing it from the beginning yeah. just gave it a very different tone. 
Well, yeah, so and isn't it how isn't it how the lead character would choose to share that information that he's been killed to us, right? He's so like at the same time as he's an opportunist, he's also self-deprecating. He's like he opens with like he doesn't say it's him in the pool. He opens with, you know, just a nobody. Just yeah. a nobody, you know. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I guess that's actually a good way to describe it. Everything in this movie happens in slow motion. It's like it, it really is uh just very slow and like methodically plotting to its you know conclusion that it tells you in the beginning um the other thing like actually uh, just further on what amanda said is the kind of comparisons to today uh you know you'll actually see a lot of directors you know like your really famous um kind of more artistic style directors like commenting about marvel um and like how they they hate it so much uh, it really like this watching this film kind of had that uh you know it's the it's not that you know those even those directors are still making their movies you know it's just like the the kind of the stuff that's popular or for the you know for a, a bulk number of people is probably not going to be talked about in 50 years uh 70 mm -hmm. years but right. you know it's like the thing that like annoys the people that are making the art uh today as much as right. it did back then right <laughs> it's like oh i can't stand that everybody's talking about these movies instead of my movie because <laughs> mine is this artistic gem and that's just a bunch of colors <laughs> like right. why why are they talking about the flashing movie that's three hours instead of the irishman that's three hours like and i and i love scorsese i'm just yeah. saying like it's a totally understandable um you know it's it's popcorn movie versus thinker movies right and which one's gonna last longer well people like me are gonna dig up the popcorn movies but most people are are not they're gonna watch the new popcorn movies you know yeah. And so then the other co contrast I, I found interesting was like kind of like almost like social media versus media back then. So like sh her psych uh, her psychology was almost built off of this idea that everyone loved her. Everyone on the planet loved her because, you know, media was a little bit more um, like, you know, kind of controlled. It was like it was a it was more of a finite number of voices. Right. And so mm -hmm. like with a finite number of voices, all of them can be singing your praise. And then, you know, her, the beginning of her breakdown became when those voices turned from praise to she's too old or, you know, or, or some, I think it was never really specifically discussed what negativity she got from the media, but mm -hmm. that the media had come after her in a negative fashion. So we can, we can make very obvious assumptions that it was based on appearance and aging and um, et cetera. Um, and then you kind of contrast that to today, uh, where like social media um, releases so many opinions, you know, including the <laughs> opinions of the three people that are talking right now that's about right. a movie that's 70 years old. Follow uh, us on Colton Classic. Yeah, podcast. so there's so many opinions that it be it almost it's it's almost toxic in a different way where like before it was like toxic that you they got infinite praise and you take that way and the cruelty of that is you know immeasurable right uh, but then today you have you get every single person's opinion all at once and a lot of them are going to be negative and you pull that many people you get that many voices so there it's it's kind of a interesting um uh, kind of juxtaposition but it, it's kind of same even though it's the opposite um it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about that uh, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably mull over uh, a little bit in the coming weeks um, uh, that idea in particular um, and uh, you know how that affects you know you know your mental stability and stuff um, or your your really your sense of self worth which is kind sense of sense of self yeah I yeah. think that's very accurate sense of self is kind of at the core of this right uh, yeah all the characters we see have a very Un, I'd say unusual, but I think it's sort of telling because we all have elements of these people in us, right? Uh, I want to, before we close out, I want to say too, I think it's quite interesting that this is one of those movies that's so famous and so iconic, uh, yet Hollywood hasn't really dared to remake it. Uh, and I think that, that that might be telling. I'm not, that now Andrew Lloyd Webber did write a musical based off this uh, and, and it premiered in 1993. Um, I believe Patty Lapone uh, was was Norma Desmond. I believe I could be wrong on that, but 
it's interesting. And they were going to do a film version of the musical, uh, but I with Glenn Close in the lead uh, as Norma Desmond. Um, but uh, and apparently she can sing, which is interesting. I didn't actually know that because uh, I think her most famous film roles have not have not had her sing. But I think it's I think it's interesting that um, even though Paramount apparently has stopped that production uh there was there was going on uh yeah. 2019 ish i think it's interesting that the only time that they prompt that, that they got close was when it's a, a musical rendition which in and of itself i mean i like musicals but i think the slow burn tension especially with andrew lloyd weber subtlety is not uh <laughs> in the toolbox of Andrew Lloyd Webber. So it's, like it's, it's not really in the toolbox of musicals in general. Musicals, right. It, it's, yeah, it's very not hard there. to do because you know you you have to you can't just tell the story exactly how you want. You do have a musical requirement, right? So it, it it I'm not saying it can't be done and it hasn't it probably has been done somewhere. I'm saying that it's un it's less easy and thus less likely. So yeah. I think it's interesting that that's why. And I don't I don't really look forward to a remake of Sunset Boulevard, uh, which I think is probably shared. I, I wonder if it would be hard, like, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, it was very obvious right at the beginning, the kind of the gaslighting and the manipulation, um, like, right off. I, I'm wondering if the audience in the 50s was, you know, maybe hadn't had so much of that type of stuff um in conversation and uh in maybe even just in other media that it 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 maybe have had a it had a slower burn on them that they were like uh you know they were more naive like our main character like you know getting kind of slowly drawn into this um rather than uh you know an audience of today i, I i'm i'm maybe. wondering I mean, if it would i work. think i think men have were to more change unaware it. of it yeah, I mean, maybe. I think I think yeah. women, you know, in the era of, of Valium and and at that time, you know, I think I think that probably they they were less less talking about it. I think that mm. which maybe is why it lasts when it's a mystery that, as you said, we ponder certain things about it for a long time because they ring true, but we haven't understood, we haven't really parsed out how they why they're true. Um, that's that's certainly an element that could be at play there. I I think I think. I think you're getting to the point though where my concern with, would be with a remake, they're going to be more direct and it's yeah. thus going to be less effective um, and less realistic. And we have, you know, plenty of, of captive, you know, uh, uh, movies. <laughs> we, we don't really need uh, uh, one that, that is a. Yeah. I, I feel like you'd have to, it, I feel like if you were able to write a script in which you could write a kidnapping, so. Or like you know, essentially that type of slow drawing of somebody in, um, kind of like you know that doesn't really want to be there. Well, very clearly doesn't want to be there, but like eventually, uh, you know, doesn't feel like they have the ability to leave, or never really feels like they can leave. Uh, I I think you would just have written something completely different if it worked. Agreed. So you might as well put a different title on it. Put like you know. It's more likely yeah. that you would get some Put sort it. of like Patty Hearst, like, you know, um, uh, you know, Stockholm syndrome, you know, or, or, or indoctrinated kind of thing, right? Like as where they go along with it. Whereas this one, he's never really, he's never fully committed, right? He's never fully committed to leading this, this farce in a way, which is interesting. Because plenty of people wouldn't have been conflicted and would have been like, oh, I see what she's wanting this to be. I'm okay with that. I'm a kept man. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's not. Uh, and and it's interesting there. So good thoughts. I It's sort of a, a sour, sour ending film in a way to move. Uh, but that's, hey, that's uh, not everybody has a happy ending. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate us all the stars wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Cult and Classic Podcast. Go to our website. Check out all we have there. Join our soon-to-be mailing list uh, at cultandclassicfilms.com. And please, 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 please tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us. Tell everyone about us. We are uh, mainly growing by word of mouth. So thank you so much. Please catch us next week for part two of Splash into the Noir Year, where we talk 
about the 80s comedy drama <laughs> Down and Out in Beverly Hills with one of my favorite actors of all time, Nick Nolte. And we will certainly get into that next week. Thank you and have a great new year. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.